Fern is on silence. Silencio. Uh, what speed are we playing this back at? Twice. I don't have the ability to play it back at a non-one-to-one speed, so I'm just going to play it in my mind palace. <laughs> uh, I'm going for twice. Yep. As you may be able to tell, I'm going to sound quite nasally, and there's going to be a few coughs in this one. Wow, the pre-roll music is hilarious uh, at yeah, the time. Yeah, it is. That's why I had a giggle at. What, has the uh, John Williams score turned into polka music or something? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> oh, th- this wasn't even the John Williams score. This was the, like, the Lucasfilm bit. I don't know if you guys, this is timely, but since we're now with no buffer, maybe it's not the worst thing to say. Over the first couple of weeks of November, I've been watching Desert Bus, which let's not go into what it is now, but I will tell you that at one point, the people involved with it uh, were dancing to Gangnam Style at 50% speed. Okay. Which is actually a surprisingly good song. I'm not sure if I've mentioned this before, but if you take Dolly Parton's Jolene and play it back at 80% speed, it's really, really spooky. <laughs> it turns into like some sort of um, like emo sort of song. I love that we're already off so far off topic. Well, we haven't even hit the intro yet. I'm not even 100% certain that we're recording. Welcome to this week's episode of Remedial Nerding, the podcast where three nerds force each other to watch something that they really should have already seen. Your friendly neighbourhood nerds this week are Nathan, Dan and me, Paul. Remember, there's no such thing as a bad nerd. What's the internal temperature of a tauntaun? Lukewarm! Yes, well done, Dan. Hello and welcome to Series 4, Episode 16 of Remedial Nerding. This week is The Empire Strikes Back, uh, the despecialised version thereof. We all know the, the spoiler for this, right? This is, I mean, if you haven't s- even seen Star Wars, everyone knows the spoiler on this. It is the most misquoted movie spoiler line in cinematic history, correct? Well, there's several competitors for that, but <laughs> it's certainly up there. <laughs> if you haven't seen The Empire Strikes Back, why are you listening to a nerd podcast? Remember, there is no such thing as a bad nerd, but we will judge you for it. <laughs> it's just a nerd that needs some remedial nerding. Yeah. I'd say, in a way, this um, fact that we're starting the recording already like four or five minutes into the film mirrors the experience of me watching it in cinema for the first time, and possibly the first time ever, when it came out in special edition in 1990. <laughs> 1990, mm, let's not admit 99, maybe, 98. Could have been like Christmas 98. I'd forgotten how long this movie was. Anyway, the, what I was saying there is that in, when we went to go and see it in the Ocampton Carlton, we decided to not decide to leave home until it's scheduled start time. We are like, oh, it's fine. There's normally like 20 minutes of trailers at the start. Yeah. No, there's but... like three minutes of trailers. It just feels like 20 minutes. <laughs> they probably cut it short because like, Ocampton always used to shut its cinema like real early and we were like a two hour runtime. this they were like fuck this so they, they get one ad yeah but that's only so that you didn't die of either hypothermia or mold in the meantime because <laughs> it was like the shittest oldest dampest wettest most rottingest concretest cinema i've ever been to it did have a certain air of livestock shed about it <laughs> <laughs> i think it may have been a livestock shed i watched this film a, a long time before that i've had the 
the VHS versions of them for a long time. So long that yeah, so long ago that there is no part of my life where I don't remember watching Star Wars. I definitely don't remember being surprised by the two major twists in this film, but then maybe no one ever can be anymore. Watching it with a critical eye this time around, I have issue with this movie. I mean, I love it, but there are some things that don't make sense to me. So, namely first, Han Solo puts his finger to C-3PO's mouth to shut him up. It's like, <laughs> he's just got a speaker. I don't think that should really work. And no, but that is body language, and 3PO does understand body language, as long with six million other forms of communication. And the Wampa that captures Luke freezes his feet to the ceiling. One, how, and two, why? Why didn't he just eat him? And why didn't he take the Tonton with him? Because that's also free food. Right, one, piss. <laughs> ah. Two, a steak tastes better when you age it. And three, you saw it eating the Tonton. Oh, I didn't see that bit. I missed it eating the Tonton. Oh, see, I wasn't sure if it did sit, because I remembered very clearly, maybe from being marginally traumatised in childhood, remember seeing a, like, what is it, a wumper? Yeah. Kind of hunched over chewing on something. But then I thought in this version, you only kind of see shadows moving in the distance, apart from a two-second shot of what is very clearly a stuntman in a Yeti costume. Uh, Unless the eating the Tonton was from the special edition, and this is obviously despecialised. Yeah, that's what I thought. That was the only time I know... Actually, I, I don't know if you guys want to talk about what the despecialized edition is or if we already did on a previous one but that was the only time i noticed something different than how i remembered it well the only other big change that i can remember from the original to the special edition of star wars was at bespin where they basically made the windows windows and not just frosted glass i actually can't remember if they removed that in this version or not hmm there's no animatronic jabba huts to be matted out in this one no and no bounty hunters to fire in the wrong order <laughs> I read, incidentally, on the other day, um, an article debating whether or not the Wampa scene was put in to mask the fact that Mark Hamill had been in quite a horrific car accident and smushed his face up. I've read that. And there's, like, parts where it's like, yeah, it could be, but they'd already had the screenplay, like, written at that point. And then the bit where Mark Hamill straight up asked George Lucas if that was the reason, and he got a no. Mm-hmm. Like, that, which kind of killed the entire article, really. I'm going to go the other way and put forward the counter-conspiracy theory that George Lucas engineered the car accident to add verisimilitude <laughs> to his womper injuries. Like the week before, he released a bear into Mark Hamill's house, but it just went through the bins and then went out the back door before he got home. <laughs> the logic problem I thought you were going to have is that they have two lines of dialogue. Well, they go there's line one of dialogue, line two of dialogue, special effect, and the order goes: one, I detect no life forms anywhere nearby. Line two, what's that, lassie? Special effect: one purple knocks him off his tonton. <laughs> Your life form sensor may not be working properly, Luke. I was wondering how many lines in this were meant to be comedy because I thought maybe that was one of them. Most, I think, most of C-3PO's <coughs> lines. Seemed to be comical. Yeah. Towards the end, it was just like, does he just turn 3PO off again now, please? Just. Oh, see, for me, it went the opposite way. I felt super sympathetic towards C3PO in this because he's constantly talking sense and getting shut down for it. Until R2D2 arrives again, and then R2D2 starts talking sense, and he does exactly the same to him. That is so true. It's that is very true. He does bicycle kick him, yeah. Yeah, because I seem to remember at some point in my life watching like a director's commentary in which they said, oh, there's skipping way ahead, but there's the scene where they land in a cave and they go, oh, it's really weird and moist in here. Yeah. And it turns out to be a space worm. Yeah, giant space eel, which 
seems to serve no biological purpose and should not exist in that asteroid at all. No, and where does it have a breathable atmosphere in its stomach? Or, semi- or an atmosphere, I suppose it wasn't breathable, they had little oxygen masks on. Well, I was already making disapproving notes like, how does Hoth support apex predators? Tut, tut. <laughs> And that is, yeah, how does a completely barren asteroid in a barren asteroid field support a creature larger than a spaceship? But anyway, the reason I mention all that is that apparently that was meant to be a big laugh line and they just didn't get why no one liked, thought it was funny. <laughs> well, there's also the whole asteroid belts don't look like that type argument against the reality mm. of this. Yes. <laughs> it was like an asteroid belt is to uh, asteroids what Nebraska is to people. Yeah. Like, there are some there, but you're not constantly having to dodge out of the way to avoid crashing into people all the time. Yeah, exactly. Unless he picked a really densely populated part to hide in. If he was in Asteroid Omaha, yeah, possibly. Unfortunately, the original Star Wars trilogy has been slightly spoiled for me by Family Guy. <laughs> oh, wow, the Imperial March at one... I've had to slow down to 1.66. The Imperial March at 1.66 time speed is amazing. Is it actually just the Benny Hill theme? Well, I think it's VLC. It speeds it up, but doesn't change the pitch. Uh, does that mean it pitch corrects, or does it sound like it's higher? No, no, it do- it pitch corrects. Okay. I did see something the other night, which was... Um, the Imperial March in a major key, and it's like, well, that's really chirpy. <laughs> oh, that's probably something about watching about Empire Strikes Back. Not from this version, but have you ever seen the whole um, carbon freezing scene when they take the music out? Yes, and it's, well, that, because there was also the, like, metal scene from the end of the first one. I'm going to say first one, and just put up with it if I'm completely wrong. No, definitely the first one. Yeah, they took out the swelling triumphal music and added in a couple of like squeaky shoe sound effects. <laughs> <laughs> At which point you just it is awkward comedy up until the point that um, Chewie does his first Wookiee roar. At which point I just kind of dissolved in laughter. <laughs> Not appropriate, Chewie. Does change the emotional context enormously. So I'm quite glad you mentioned first film. Because I think the order of watching Star Wars films is kind of important to talk about these days, given that there are more than three of them. More than three with sequential numbering. Well, yeah. I suppose there are six, nearly seven with sequential numbering, but... Ah, our first catch of the day. Fire the space nipple. Fire giant space nipple gun. You've you've pulled away from me because I've had to slow down slightly. (laughs) That's what she said. So I've had new, a couple of people ask me with the new Star Wars film coming out. I was like, oh, what do you watch them in? Episode order or number order? And I'm like, neither. Watch them in like Uber King Nerd order. Machete and then the new ones. Well, the real question is not so much when the new trilogy fits into Machete order yet, but when where does Rogue One fit into Machete order? So for the uninitiated, Machete order goes four, five, two, three, six, and seven, and completely ignores the existence of Phantom Menace. I think like. The Phantom Menace, it needs to be removed because it's not part of the saga. It's a Star Wars story. So I've been trying to decide this, obviously, having had a son this year. Obviously, it's an important part of his upbringing to work out when and how I'm going to introduce him to Star Wars. So I think it'll probably have to be when he's about three and can and appreciate it. And my intention is to go four, five, two, three, six, seven, eight, then then to Rogue One and then start again. Is that with the intention of keeping Rogue One until he's able to comprehend the finality of death? Well, <laughs> partly. I don't want to introduce him to Rogue One as his like first experience of the Star Wars universe. As at age three or four, it might put him off for the rest of the series, because it is pretty bleak. I had two Rogue One-related notes, actually. One of which is that one of the call signs of the various ice speeders in their exciting Battle of Hoth bit is Rogue Two. That's because Luke's Rogue One. Ah, no, he's Rogue is Leader. He? 
I thought he was Echo something. He was at the start when he was on the uh, the Tauntaun. Ah, okay. So Echoes is for horse patrol. Cavalry, I guess, is the term for that. Didn't he lead Rogue Squadron? He did. I'll come back to that in a second. Also, Tauntauns. Native to Hoth? And were they domesticated once the Rebels arrived? Or did the Rebels go, Oh, I know just the creature that will like it on Hoth. That's frickin' fast work if they domesticated an alien species from scratch in six I... months. <laughs> yeah, I, I know, reckon right? they took them with them. And the main reason I'd have to go Rogue One and then back into A New Hope is just because of how well the two tie together. It's it's bonkers. It's absolutely amazing when you put them back to back. The other thing I got from watching this whole Battle of Hoth, it's just an enormous sense of nostalgia from being about 13 or 14. In fact, no, it must have been a bit older than that because I didn't get my N64 until I was 16. So it must have been 16, 17. But the amount of time I spent playing Rogue Squadron, which is set between A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back, and that is when Luke becomes Rogue Leader. But also Shadows of the Empire. What an amazing game that was. I didn't have any of these. I did have X-Wing and possibly TIE Fighter, which were, I guess, because I was a PC year at the time. Such good games. They were good games, but Shadows of the Empire was all, like, the first half of the game was set on Hoth. And I guess it's just because you spend hours and hours playing a game and listening to the same bit of music over and over and over again. <laughs> yeah, that was the uh, other note I had related to Rogue One, is that the Battle of Hoth... Because I, when I watched Rogue One, I was like, man, this is a lot more warlike than any previous Star Wars film. But actually, the Battle of Hoth is pretty hardcore. I think that Attack of the Clones kind of gets to war pretty quick. Yeah, but in Attack of the Clones, it's still somewhat more goofy, I feel. Well, you've got a, a massive expendable clone army fighting a massive expendable droid army. Yeah. Yeah, it's as opposed to in the Battle of Hoth, he is chatting quite pleasantly with his gunner, and then his gunner stops responding on account of his life has been snuffed out. <laughs> yeah, and then he gets shot down and tries to make sure the gunner's alright, can't get him out, and then he gets stomped on by the Atat. I mean, there was a little bit of that in The End of a New Hope when the uh, Porkins gets shot down. That's true. But there isn't the immediacy of it, like you said, with him flying around a dead dude in the back of his speeder. Yeah, while we're talking about call signs, that's actually why this episode got put on the list. Oh, is that what it was? If you remember, it was a one of the Buffy episodes. Someone referred to someone else as Echo 2 to Echo 7 or whatever it is. Oh, yeah, it was the, the two like the nerds, the nerds. trying to give themselves superpowers. Exactly. And we did, Dan and I did not pick up on why they were called Echoes. Why they were not called Echo 1 and 2. Or 1 and A. That's the traditional way of defusing who gets to be Echo 1. I'd completely forgotten about that. I did remember that I was quite cross with you two at the time. <laughs> but it did fit this nicely into the premise of remedial nerding, and it was quite nice to have a... After Shutter Island last time, it was quite nice to have a film that we all were going to enjoy. I've got a feeling that this is going to go on my bingo card, along with blatant factual error, is I regret being too harsh to a film. Because <laughs> Shutter Island has stuck with me in a way that bad films don't. But anyway, that's not what the title of this podcast was for. No, but we've talked about that before. You can have a film that you don't like, but you can appreciate for Hmm. what it did. Here's something weird that I noticed, and I don't know if this is due to being the specialised edition or if it's just something that's always been there and I haven't noticed. The opening yellow text, you know, that Star Wars famous text, says that the Rebel Rebel Alliance is now led by Luke Skywalker. No, wasn't it that they'd established a base on Hoth led by Luke Skywalker. Well, in either case, that does not appear to be true. No, it doesn't. It does fit in with the way that they've kind of retconned in the uh, the games to the whole thing, where that Luke is the leader of Rogue Squadron. But he is definitely just the leader of Rogue Squadron, not the Rebellion. Yeah, it's clearly Leia is in charge, if anyone is. Maybe Rogue Squadron found the location on Hoth, and they were physically led there. Yeah, I think that <laughs> might be it. 
But even I wouldn't say Leia's in charge. It's the general that she's talking to. He's the one that's actually making yeah. the calls. Yeah, that's arguable. I forgot how much of a bag of shit the Falcon was in this movie. Oh, it's an absolute pile of turd. The what, sorry? Oh, the Falcon, yeah. The Maltese Falcon, Nathan, keep up. <laughs> <laughs> the Century Eagle. Yeah, it was it was always meant to be. Fucking <laughs> Century Eagle. Hans Winnebago. I'm still not quite sure I'd really want to just like fuck off across the galaxy on my own in an X-Wing. No, that's uh, something that Star Wars seems to play fairly loose with. Because in Star Trek, at least, I got the impression that shuttles could not typically go to warp on their own. Or could they? Because They couldn't in the original series, uh, but they could in The Next Generation, but not very fast yeah. and not very far. And hmm. then DS9 got the runabouts, which were designed for like shorter hops than full-on Starfleet starships, but longer range than a shuttle. Yeah, they're a bit bigger, a bit more independent, a bit faster. But yeah, in, in this, there's no problem like flying intercontinental in your F-35 or whatever. But the, the runabouts were essentially... A Winnebago. If you, I don't know if you've been listening to The Greatest Generation or not, which is a podcast about DNG, but they very early on started referring to shuttles as um, Previous, which I guess is a model of car. I think it must be in America, yeah. I presume. But that is indelibly stuck in my mind now as what those are called. Tell us that was quite good in The, ne- the Next Generation, where all the shuttles were actually named for 20th century physicists. Hmm. I've been rewatching some of Deep Space Nine at the minute, where the runabouts are all rivers. Yes, well, that's because it's a Danube-class runabout. Could be. Yeah. Although I'm pretty sure one of them was the Danube. It was what, the Orinoco, the Rio Grande. There's at least four, because they had three. One of them got smushed, and they got a fourth one. So one thing I suppose with this, with the asteroid field, is it's at least consistent, because they have already mentioned there's a lot of asteroid activity in the system. Hmm. I, I like the consistency and the, the callback from Rogue One to the hole that Han is trying to fix the ship in. I feel that like that's the, the exact same hole that they had the issue with in Rogue One. You mean The Force Awakens? That one. Shit, there's too many new Star Wars movies. the Falcon wasn't in Rogue One. Yes. <laughs> but you're right, it was the exact same hole where they were messing about with. Or as in access panel yeah. thing. I thought you meant the hole on the asteroid. I, that's what I thought I meant at first. I was like, they didn't go to the asteroid in Rogue One. <laughs> I mean, people say Star Wars is too small a universe already without them going back to specific individual asteroids. <laughs> you'd have to discount Kessel from that not that if you if you didn't have anything to do with the expanded universe you wouldn't have a clue that that's what Kessel was or why the Kessel runs measured in parsecs yep I have no idea what Kessel is Kessel is an asteroid on like some random orbit around the galaxy and it's where you mine some sort of spice from not the same spice mm. as in Dune but it's moving which is why the Kessel runs measured in distance because distance is speed it's great I have heard so many different explanations for why they say parsecs yeah, I thought it was from point A to point B around a bunch of random black holes and the shortest you could do it was how Han Solo did it because he was skimming all the black holes. The theory I heard <laughs> was that it was because warp speed in Star Wars involves contracting distance and therefore its real distance of you know 65 parsecs was down to 12. I guess that still needs faster than night travel, assuming he's not in there for like three years or something, but... <laughs> Back to Luke in his little jaunt in his fighter aircraft. Oh yeah, he's going to Dagobah. Leaving Hoff, and Artie's like, are you sure you want to do this? And he's like, yeah, totally. He's like, okay, fine. Do you want me to take the controls, you know, make the jump to hyperspace in this tiny little aircraft? And he's like, no, no, I'll keep it on manual for a while. It's like, what are you just going to do? Just drift through space? (laughs) Just wiggle the stick a little bit? 
put on some podcasts on the radio. I mean, actually, it's a military aircraft. It probably doesn't have a radio. And I've also developed this working theory that Ben and Yoda conspire to crash the X-Wing. That Yoda force-ripped that motherfucker from the sky. You don't think it was just because he was trying to land in an untrackless jungle with heavy fog? With zero preparation, to the extent that he didn't even know if it was a like inhabited planet or not before he got there. <laughs> he did not do his destination prep at all. Luke Skywalker, luckiest farmhand in the world. The Force is great plot glue, though, because then you have to ask, like, how did he arrive at a completely unknown planet of unknown size, land at a random point on it, and happen to find the guy he was looking for? Because of the midichlorians. <laughs> That's why I think Yoda ripped the damn thing from the sky. <laughs> Just to make sure he didn't miss. Yeah, I mean, it, that's the problem. If you're looking for the one guy hiding out on Earth and he's in Stockholm and you accidentally land in Buenos Aires, <laughs> it's going to take you a while to do a grid search for him. I mean, the rest of Dagobah could just be endless sprawling desert for all we know. That's true. <laughs> this could be the Florida of Dagobah. <laughs> the one planet, one ecosystem rule. In the same way that Hoth is basically riser once you get to the bottom of that particular glacier that they decided to camp on. <laughs> Has Yoda turned up yet in your speedy playthrough? He's just about to in mine. I'm, I'm, ju- I'm just lifting R2-D2 up after he got spat out by the random swamp monster. I assume that is another joke line. Yoda has literally just appeared in mine. Yeah, because you said earlier everyone knows the twist. And by the way, can confirm my wife who has never seen any Star Wars film does know A, what the relationship between Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker is and B, what the name of a short green puppet guy who talks in backward syntax is. <laughs> But both of those were major twists, I get, for naive audiences. I'm not sure if the Yoda one was a particularly major twist, because it... Well, it's only introduced, like, four minutes before it's revealed, but yeah, even so. Yeah. It was meant to fake you out for a while. I did find Puppet Yoda far more convincing than CGI Yoda. Asteroids do not concern me, Admiral. Only money. No, wait, that's from (laughs) Phantom Menace. I'd forgotten about that. I, the Jewish stereotype, have no soul, don't you understand? (laughs) Ugh. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I did come up with a new theory on this watch through that in much the same way that Kylo Ren is needlessly self-destructive because it's the only thing that keeps his force powers mojo flowing. My theory is that Darth Vader is kind of addicted to ex- summarily executing subordinates. <laughs> Apology accepted, Captain Nida. He He's annihilated that dude via the view screen pretty well. Yeah, didn't know I could do that, did you? <laughs> Yeah, so my theory is that his force powers are largely powered by people being afraid of him, which is also why he's got the scary outfit. (laughs) You may say that this is contradicted by the prequels. I say the prequels are non-canon anymore. (laughs) By whose authority? By my own. (laughs) I would love Disney to reboot episodes 1, 2, and 3. Just completely scrub it clean. But bring bring back Ewan McGregor, because I really enjoyed him as... Midlife Crisis Obi Wan. I would I would make two big changes to the prequels. Apart, well, lots of changes to the prequels, but two particular ones. One is eliminate the character of Qui Gon Jinn entirely, just having be <laughs> Obi Wan Kenobi from the start. I see. I I was the Qui Gon Jinn was like the like first incarnation of a proper grey Jedi. Now he yeah. was not afraid to operate in that sort of in between area, but not go quite so far. I did, like, Qui-Gon Jinn was the best thing about episode one, but even so, I would just get rid of him. But this is why episode one does not appear in Machete Order, <laughs> because it, it adds nothing, literally nothing to it. 
you get that gets put on the list somewhere between um, Heirs, Heir to the Empire and Knights of the Old Republic, or a let's play of someone's Knights of the Old Republic MMO run. Oh yeah, and other one was remove Yoda from it. <laughs> I know, again, Yoda was the best thing in episodes two and three, but still, and CGI Yoda is a very different character from animatronic Yoda, and I would prefer that they were not the same person. I quite enjoyed Count Dooku. He was quite a badass. Yeah. <laughs> in in the way that, well, because it was Christopher Lee. Yes, I mean, it's hard to give Christopher Lee something to mess up. We want you to look large and foreboding and speak slowly and terrifyingly. See, the, the reason I say I want Yoda to be a different character in the prequels is that I liked in this one, because there's the first part where he's being extremely goofy towards Luke. And up until now, I'd always assumed that that was a deliberate act to test him in some way. Yeah, I, I thought it was. This view through, I thought, maybe that's just how he always is, and that's why he lives on a planet on his own, because he is so in touch with the ultimate reality of life that he's not able to take anyone seriously. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe he just got that way in the last 18 years of having to live on his own in a swamp. Well, both he and Obi-Wan seem to have lived extremely hard 18 years. (laughs) Uh, Because you went from Ewan McGregor at 30 to somebody Guinness, Asser Alec Guinness, at the age of like 65 or something. Also, original Palpatine's face. What the fuck was going on with that? And also his voice, completely different from even the Return of the Jedi version. Well, that's because it was a different actor, and the one that you actually saw was an old woman with heavy makeup on. In the undespecialized version, they replaced them with Ian McDermott. Is that so? Which is a reasonable replacement. We will accept this alteration. But yeah, because Yoda says he's been... Because the problem that all of the films have had is if you introduce a, like, elder mentor Jedi, how do you stop him just solving all the problems? And A New Hope solved that by having him killed by Darth Vader in a kind of possibly bullshit way. (laughs) And, like, 5 and 6 solve it by having Yoda be 900 years old and not really up to leaving his house anymore. And pretty nuts. And pretty nuts. So I prefer to imagine that he'd been that way for, like, 500 years or something. And he just can't take anyone seriously because he's fully aware that all vertebrate Jedi are at least a quarter full of partly digested shit at any time. <laughs> <laughs> that still hums with the force. <laughs> Indeed, so so he's more like a reclusive hermit and less like someone who was extremely active in the Senate up until like the decade before last. I really now wish there was a conversation between Yoda and Luke in which he's like, you're a quarter shit, you know that. I can use the force to bring that shit out your mouth. You will pay me some respect. That's a conversation I would genuinely like to see between Darth Vader and Yoda. This puppet version of Yoda that is not incredibly self-serious and somber is saying, you think you're such a badass, but I'm fully aware that you, if you eat onions after midnight, (laughs) fart throughout the rest of the night. Do you reckon that's what was in Luke's field rations was just cheese and the whole bit in the cave was just a, a cheese hallucination it's just a cheese dream I do feel that you know, Yoda and Obi-Wan could have avoided a lot of the drama in this movie if they just told Luke the truth does this film feel slightly like people are making it up as they go along at times <laughs> a little bit well you can kind of understand that at the whole Han, Leia, Chewie kind of plotline where they are just bouncing from catastrophe to catastrophe yeah. But Luke's kind of journey through the film is slightly more thought out. The, the Han and Leia bits are just a case of, oh, we need to get there from A to B, but we don't just want them to turn up. So I kind of liked the whole diversion to Cloud City because it 
you know, it felt slightly more Firefly than anything else. Like I were a, a semi-legal mining operation. Hmm. I always enjoy the little windows into the lives of people who are not caught up in the galactic struggle of good against evil. When uh, Han has a go at Lando for essentially selling them out, it's like, Han hasn't stopped to think that no, Lando's trying to now provide for his people. He has thousands of people that depend on him. He is Jean Valjean. <laughs> well, Lando's character is one of the reasons I say it feels a bit like they made it up as they went along, because he does a super dramatic heel turn and then immediately redeems himself, like, 20 minutes later. And then starts wearing Han Solo's clothes. Well, I assume that was to um, imply that they were old boyfriends. <laughs> In much the same way as what was probably an animator's mistake where, oh, what are they called? Daphne and Thelma swap clothes occasionally in Scooby-Doo. <laughs> they do? Probably an animator's mistake or conceivably a post-fact Photoshop, but the, the photos are out there, damn it. <laughs> and by photos, I, of course, mean screenshots on Tumblr. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to search for... <laughs> yeah, probably best not. <laughs> for, for lesbian images of Scooby-Doo characters on Tumblr, that'll lead exactly where you expect it to. So, the conversation between Luke, Yoda, and Ghost Kenobi, as it goes on, Luke's like, I'm ready! I know I can be a Jedi. I've learned so much. What the fuck has he learned? Well, yeah. He's learned he's got a glowy stick that his dad used to have, and that uh, he can... Get real lucky shooting a torpedo in a hole. I interpreted that as the hubris of like the level uh, level one, the first year university student <laughs> who is now convinced they know everything there is to know about economics <laughs> <laughs> because they've learned what marginal utility is. In the same way, he's learned how to levitate a lightsaber and is convinced that's basically ninety percent of it. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I ever saw old Ben do. <laughs> I also feel that the Jedi Order as a whole could have avoided being wiped out by an over-eager apprentice if they just sat all the kids down and went, look, this is the dark side and this is why it's bad. Not just, don't go to the dark side, don't ask any questions about it, just just accept it, This it's bad. I was trying to work out what this note was because it was just Puppet Yoda. <laughs> I think I was probably thinking about the seagulls song. <laughs> Yeah, when I was saying that there's, like, <laughs> CGI Yoda and Puppet Yoda are two different characters, that, if you haven't seen it, look for it. It's in the, like, ba- bad lip-reading category on YouTube. Yeah, Yoda singing a little song. Penny for your thoughts. <laughs> I mean, it's stretching the genre because you can't really do lip-reading on what is Frank Oz's right hand just doing the flapping <laughs> mouth thing. It does work so well, though. But, yeah, in that, where he sings a jaunty ragtime song is a lot more in keeping with Puppet Yoda than CGI Yoda is, in my opinion. <laughs> I've just got that stuck in my head now. I watched <laughs> it several times when we were prepping for this. There is also a 10-hour version of it on YouTube. <laughs> oh, YouTube. Nothing you love more than creating 10-hour versions of things. There was another issue that I had with this film that I need explaining. Do go on. I mean, we don't know, but we can bullshit with anyone. Hanzo did his fancy, I'm going to go around the top of your tower and then attach myself to your ship manoeuvre. Mm-hmm. Firstly, are there no windows on that side of the ship? And secondly, they wait until the garbage is released and then drift away with it. What gets ejected from that Star Destroyer 
I wanted that. Are starship-sized pieces of trash. Yeah, that's some massive piles of shit they've got. Yeah, they are, are not... Is it not like NASA where they're like, we have to bring back the used containers that we took our vaporised ice cream in? And they're just like, well, oh, this wall's broken. Throw it out the airlock and get a new one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are entire chunks of Starship that they are firing out of that trash chute. Space travel's a lot easier in Star Wars than it is in real life, I presume. <laughs> Maybe they have replicators and can just make a new one. I don't remember ever seeing in Star Trek if they have to like return the crockery to the replicator matter, um, like hopper, so that it doesn't have to replicate as much metal next time. I think they do. I think in DS9, I think you see Keiko doing the washing up and they take it back and it just dematerializes it. So the idea behind the replicator in Star Trek is it has this tank of like some protoplasmic gloop that it then converts into what you have on the basis that turning stuff... If you're doing a direct matter energy conversion, if the matter's a bit more like what it's supposed to start off with, it takes less energy, which seems a bit daft. So are we saying that all replicators are basically controlled transporter malfunctions? Yes. <laughs> that would make me a lot more nervous about getting in one. I now want I now love that the transporters came first and then the replicators. They're like, well, what if we transport this hamburger into space? Turns out, even better, we can transport this pile of protein powder into space <laughs> and just tweak it on the way. Well, I think that's why they talk about in Enterprise, like the non-human rated transporters. It's the same idea that you know, they don't have the, the quantum switch doohickey turned on so that um, you can't transport like a mind, but you can transport you know, meat popsicle that walks around in. So you could transport someone, but they would just turn into literally a hulk of flesh when they arrived at the other end. I mean, we've probably discussed this, but I watched maybe one episode of Enterprise where they did a quantum leap, it's actually a time travel in VR reveal, and then thought, I'm not going to follow this and never watch the second episode. <laughs> Are you sure that wasn't the very last episode? If it was the very last episode, I got very confused, because it was the only one I ever watched. Because <laughs> the very last episode ends up that everyone goes to speak to the cook, because that's where that they don't have a council, so they go and talk to the head chef. And it's like Jonathan Frakes, and you're like, okay, sure. I was sure you were going to say John Delancey then. <laughs> it's like, cameo time, whatever. But then it gets right to the end, and it's all just been a holodeck simulation of the historical telling of Jonathan Archer's voyage, and Riker has been pretending to be the ship's cook so he, that he can get all the juicy gossip. Wait, what, the whole of Enterprise was just Riker in the holodeck? Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? I think it was, it was like meant to be like the actual story from... Like the logs and things, so what happened? But yeah, if you go go watch it. It's all. It's literally the. It was all a dream episode. Are you certain you're not thinking of Galaxy Quest? <laughs> no, I'm absolutely certain. Also, I cannot wait for the Galaxy Quest TV series. I'm confused by that statement because it suggests that you've made the same mistake as the people in the film thinking that it was a real series. Your stunned silence leads me to believe that you have not seen anything regarding the creation of a Galaxy Quest TV series. Haven't at least two of the major cast from that film either died or disgraced themselves? I'm, I'm getting a feeling that they're going to be recast. But... <laughs> well, I guess it would be fitting to recast from the TV series to the film. That is traditional. But I also haven't watched any of, what's it, the Orville? No, no I've not watched that either. I've been told that I'm wise in that. <laughs> Where are we up to in your film? Uh, the Falcon has just landed on Best Pin on mine. Yeah, I'm a little bit ahead of you. I am quite looking forward to the 
Han Solo film. Is it just going to be called Solo? I don't know. I believe it is just called Solo, yeah. I am really ho- I think I said this on Facebook at some point, but I'm really hoping that, yeah, with Rogue One, they took it in a kind of grim and gritty futility of war direction. I'm really hoping that Han Solo, the Solo film, is just going to be complete opposite pendulum swing. It's going to be basically Buck Rogers. Oh, I'm hoping for some, like, um, Ocean's Eleven type heist thing with him and yes. Lando getting into a card game and Han winning the, the Falcon. I-, I was going more of a Firefly style heist. But, you well, know. Firefly was still somewhat bleak and depressing, so I, I want total. If you ideally, there would be a fist fight at some point where the sound effects spin up in giant letters <laughs> on the screen. Han Solo versus Malcolm Reynolds. You could talk for hours about you know, the the various D and D alignments of the two, but let's not. But they are not on the same alignment. <laughs> so, I have a confession to make. Getting back to Star Wars, I've just hit the point where. They opened the doors at Bespin and there stands Darth Vader. And when I got to that bit this afternoon, um, Daniel just happened to be stood in front of the TV. And as the sound effects pinged off, I put my hands up to block the blaster fire. (laughs) And she was like, what are you doing? And I had to stop and explain. And I got that disapproving look, the shake of the head. And she just went, you should not be able to know that. What to recognise a really distinctive bit of a film that you've seen several times before? I I did try and explain that it was a very distinctive scene, but I still got this approving look. It would have been an extremely different film if Han Solo had successfully killed Darth Vader. <laughs> it's like, oh shit! <laughs> wow, fuck, guys, that was close. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That could have taken a very different turn. Vader goes to block two blasts with his hands, and just ends up with two smoking holes, and it's like, ah, ah, it's in the bone. It's into the moon. <laughs> I mean, what you could take that further. What if Vader hadn't decided to go and hunt them down on himself? What if he stayed on the Death Star when Luke blew him up? <laughs> bit of patricide. There we go. So I think it's a bit unfair to try and give this a marks out of ten, but we can try. I give it a out of ten. I give it twelve parsecs. <laughs> <laughs> This is a fun sci-fi adventure that it ends with the main characters basically losing and just barely escaping with their lives. Yeah. Sorry, was there a question there? No, I was just going <laughs> to comment that this is our... I think because we'll, we all have fond memories of this from childhood, but it is quite a grim film. It's a middle film that doesn't suffer from middle film syndrome. I don't think I know watching our franchises to know what middle film syndrome is. I think it's like a pretty... New phenomenon. When they've gone full on, no, oh, the first film's done really well, or oh, this is now becoming a trilogy, where the first film is all self contained, and then the second film is quite obviously just an extended start of the third film. It's all yeah. set up. See, you're saying that this doesn't suffer from that. Yeah. I would vehemently disagree. This is a terrible, on that basis, it's terrible middle film itis because A New Hope is self-contained. This one, they end, they say, oh yeah, you're off to find where Han is, we'll see you in six months. Cut to black. It's like, well, where's part three then? It's obvious that this was going to be in the middle of a sequel. Right, they could have cut that bit and then just like the rebellion continued. But they would never, never have done that. There was always, always going to be something after Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, the most charismatic and arguably most popular character is fate unknown at the end of the film luke like three minutes before the end of the film apparently commits suicide rather than join the dark side in an act of radical freedom 
And I guess Leia's fine, actually. She could have just gone back to work. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I agree with Paul. It's to be continued may as well come up at the end. I was trying to think now of counterexamples. I guess like Ghostbusters was like, oh, I guess we'll make two then because we've spent all our cocaine money from the first one. <laughs> yeah. Back to the Future feels like it was meant to be two and then they just made another one. No, Back to the Future is also another third. It's definitely middle filmitis. Because the second film ends with the dude turning up in the rain saying, here's a letter saying, docks in 1883, cut to black. Yeah. It's like, yeah, oh, I guess film three or we go back to 1883 and find out what happened to him. I always thought that was because it was kind of like the Indiana Jones ones where it was based on the old radio sequels where no matter how many episodes they were, they all ended on a cliffhanger. Not even necessarily having the next episode planned. Yeah, because with the, uh, the first Back to the Future... It ends with Marty getting in the car and the car taking off, doesn't it? Yes, yeah, so it does. The first one alludes to the second one. Yeah, Indiana Jones is a film that doesn't suffer from middle filmitis, but mainly because the middle film is actually a prequel that's never explicitly stated as such, and also kind of rubbish. <laughs> it's only relatively rubbish compared to the other films of the other of the original trilogy. I think Indiana Jones is comparable to the original Star Trek films in that it's got an alternating odd even between excellent and missable. Wait, where, where does that start with the original Star Trek films? I was going to say, because the first one is abysmal. No, but Star Trek is odd, bad, even good. And Indiana Jones is the opposite. It's odd, good, even bad. Although I will say, in my firm opinion, none of the TNG films are as good as the average TNG episode. I mean, they're also not as bad as the bad TNG episodes, but... I don't know, First Contact is pretty damn good. Yeah. It has its It's holes, probably the best. But it's definitely the best of the TNG films. When Picard turns the safeties off on the holodeck and just starts gunning down the Borg with actual bullets. Yeah. Well, not actual well, bullets, holographic actual bullets. bullets. <laughs> <laughs> Made of real golden plastic. <laughs> well, what we've done here is unintentionally segued into a, a preview of what Series 5 is going to be about. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Some good episodes and some bad episodes. And good some job, guys. <laughs> it's like we planned it all along. It's like we planned it and then didn't spend very much time planning it because it wasn't actually very coherent, but never mind. I've definitely said this before in this podcast. It's like we planned it. We didn't, but it's like we did. <laughs> but what Paul means to say is that he's really good at writing a script where it sounds like we have no fucking idea what we're talking about, <laughs> but it's all perfectly scripted. If I was that good at script writing, I'd be a lot richer than I am. <laughs> oh, I don't think you have to be particularly good. I mean, George Lucas did all right. I can, we can say that now because George Lucas doesn't own the keys to our favourite franchise. This is true. It's like he's lent his keys to like the responsible, you know, clean living, straight edge older teenager. It's also hard to make George fun of George Lucas because he gave like a billion dollars to early, early years education. That just takes most of the fun out of making fun of him for his flannel shirts. <laughs> and determination to put racial stereotypes in everything. You mean that he's actually generally a decent human being? Yeah, so it appears, yeah. Just to ruin the fun of it. Well, now we've managed to segue ourselves back off topic by going back on topic. <laughs> yeah, what were we talking about? You were talking about something about how coherent and well-planned this seems. Yeah. Well, what we are talking about was next season, Star Trek The Next Generation, is the topic of discussion. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It was Chain of Command and also Night Terrors. Star Trek The Next Generation, all across the nation, it is my favourite show, so off the boat to go. Penny for your thoughts. I hate Brenda, and a bad guy hit me in the shin, and I peed all in my pants. There's <laughs> nothing a little music can't help. Rockin', rockin' and rollin'. Down to the beach, I'm strong.
That's it for this week, peeps. Tune in next time for more remedial nerding. Listen, man, I'm not your friend. Mm, don't fall asleep. <laughs>